your muscles are going through the stretch shortening cycle. And we need to actually train our muscles in that fashion in order to become better as a runner, right? We want to get more efficient. If you want to get faster, you want to get stronger as a runner, you have to train plyometrically. So that's really adding in jump training. And that is definitely another big one that is missed in most strength uh, programs. If you have ever asked yourself, how do I run a race injury-free or get out of the constant injury cycle, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, where I will teach you how to enjoy lifelong injury-free running so you can continue getting in those mental clearing runs and even hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid half-marathoner, coach, running physical therapist, and founder of Spark Physical Therapy Healthy Runner where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you have been told to stop running with an injury. Learn more about our signature coaching program at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow the show on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN Nutrition is powered by Superstarch and delivers that steady, long-lasting energy without the spike and then the crash. I had to take a moment out of this episode to share with you how the Healthy Runner snacks during the day, that being me. I don't know if you're like me, but I will never pass on a good snack, and that is why I wanted to share with you some innovative food products that help you fuel smarter and curb cravings anytime while maintaining blood sugar and boosting energy. UCAN's healthy snacks are enhanced with super starch and crafted with healthy ingredients. This has been a game changer to curb those cravings between meals for me and my clients. I absolutely love the almond butter and it pairs so well with some honey wheat pretzel sticks, apple slices, or medjool dates. The granola is absolutely phenomenal. The only thing you will need to do is set some portion control because it tastes so good you'll want to keep going back in the bag for more. Since you are a part of our Healthy Runner community, as always, you will get 20% off all of your orders at UCAN.co. Just use the code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order. Go ahead and give this healthy snack a try, and believe me, you will thank me after when you feel better about your snacking habit. Hello, and welcome to episode 110 on the Healthy Runner podcast. Have you ever wondered what three running physio and coaches chat about on a podcast? Well, this is required listening for all of you. I had the pleasure of kicking off 2022 with the amazing duo of Carolyn Coffin and Kim Senechal from the Inspired Souls podcast to discuss the foundational principles all runners should utilize to stay healthy while getting stronger and running faster. This was actually on their Inspired Souls podcast, and this episode honestly was so good, I needed to share that with you here on our Healthy Runner feed. So this is going to be a treat for you. We cover a lot. We walk through the Spark Blueprint, which is really the foundation of this podcast. So if you haven't checked out the Blueprint, if you haven't listened to the first five episodes of the podcast and you resonate with what I'm talking about here, go back, 
Those are a little deeper dive on each of those topics and check those episodes out. But we talk about the top six muscles runners need to strengthen. We talk about why we need to include jump training and training on one leg. We talk about how to take care of our soft tissues, so our muscles, and then why hiring a running coach might just be one of the wisest running investments, even more so than the latest carbon fiber shoes out there. This is going to be a treat for you. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Make sure you go ahead and check out the Inspired Souls podcast as well, because Carolyn and Kim do an amazing job. It is a podcast that is in my listening queue each and every week. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And without further ado, here it is. We need to train in order to run and specifically strength train. If you want to get faster, you want to get stronger as a runner, you have to train plyometrically. Plyometrics are all about quality, not quantity. Less is more. That was Dr. Dwayne Scotty, and this is episode 66 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. We are so excited to be kicking off 2022 with running physical therapist, Dr. Dwayne Scotty, in the hopes of making this your best running year yet. Dwayne pretty much lives and breathes running. Not only is he the owner of Spark Physical Therapy in Hamden, Connecticut, he's also a certified running coach and host of the Healthy Runner podcast. In this episode, we walk through his Spark blueprint for helping runners prevent or heal from injuries without being told to stop running. And the best part is his advice helps you run fast too. In this episode, we discuss the top six muscles runners need to strengthen, why we need to include jump training and train on one leg, how to take care of our soft tissues, and why hiring a running coach might just be one of your wisest running investments, even more so than the latest carbon fiber shoe. Dwayne is the real deal, and if you like what you heard today, be sure to check out his YouTube channel where you can find all of the exercises we talked about. And now on to our conversation with Doctor of Physical Therapy, Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Okay, well, we are here with running physical therapist, Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Dwayne, welcome to Inspired Souls. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you both. Likewise, Kim and I have wanted to have a physiotherapist on the show for quite a while. So we're very thrilled to have you here. And we do have a very jam-packed session planned with lots of great information to help all you runners stay active and prevent injuries and keep hitting those PBs and PRs. But first, Dwayne, we wanted to learn a little bit more about you. So you are joining us from Connecticut, where you live and breathe running as a PT, a runner. Runner, a, a coach, true kindred spirit, yeah, a podcast host, <laughs> so much in common. But I do understand in my listening of you on other podcasts is that your athletic career actually started in the dancing world and you even met your wife there. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about that? 
That's good. You did your research. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So I was a, a dancer since age four. My mom put me in dance class, uh, probably because we grew up in a rough neighborhood. So she put my brother and I in dance class, which wasn't a cool thing uh, going through school. And, you know, you kept it on the down low. But um, again, the benefits was I met my wife uh, through there. We were dance partners and yeah, grew up a dancer, played sports, um, never ran outside unless it was playing football, playing basketball, uh, baseball. But yeah, I really didn't start becoming a runner. I call myself an adult onset runner. I love that. <laughs> because it was after my hip scope that I had. So I had a labral tear in my hip um, as well as torn cartilage. So a chondral defect and had arthroscopy, had a little micro fracture and I was non-weight bearing for six weeks and I got out of shape. Um, I was a gym rat, so to speak, um, where I worked out ever since PT school with my uh, PT buddy. Uh, so we were kind of always in the gym like five days a week. And the only time I ever ran was to kind of quote unquote lean out, right? Mm -hmm. And get some cardio in. And it was never for pleasure. It was never for a running high or that I wanted to be a runner whatsoever. So after my surgery, my uh, surgeon said, you know, what are you going to do? I was like, I got to get back in shape. Like I've been non-weight bearing six weeks. Like how do I get like back in shape. And he was like, well, start running, go outside. Just don't run on the treadmill because of where the surgery was in the front part of the hip joint because of the tread goes backwards, forces the femur forward to that kind of anterior portion. I know you guys know about this, but just to kind of describe to your listeners, he was like, don't do it on the treadmill. And I was like, whoa, that's like the only thing I've ever done in my life is run on a treadmill. And so then I went outside and it was like the most amazing thing, even though it was freezing here in Connecticut in late February, early March, 11 years ago now. And then I, I just discovered, wow, you can like run outside and feel really good. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of just progressed from there. I'm sure like every runner, you kind of take those little milestones and steps up in distance and try to get a faster half marathon time. And mm -hmm. Yeah, now we're now we're here. We're here and we're maybe 49 road races later or 50 road races later. Do you happen to have a favorite distance out of all the distances you've tried? Yeah, definitely the half marathon. Um that would by far be my favorite distance and the official count, I guess, I just looked this up is 64 road races and 27 half marathons. Whoa. I have run one marathon. And I think the word out on the street is I'm going to give it a second crack. So Kim, Kim will be proud of me um, for running a little longer distance um, than 13.1. Well, how many, how many trail runs have you done? Yeah. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I've never been on the trail yet. I, I will admit the extent of a trail for me is like we have these, um, I don't know if they have them in Canada, but these like rail to trail, like where yeah, the, yeah. you know, the trains used to run, they, it's a paved trail, but there's trees around and there's not cars and buildings, steps, there's trees. So that's my extent of trail running. <laughs> I, I will just throw it out there that what outside running is to treadmill running, trail running is to road running. It's yes, totally it's so true. World. <laughs> So Dwayne, you mentioned that you asked your surgeon, how can I get back in shape after being non-weight bearing? So what was back in shape 
to you back then? How did you define that? What was your end game goal? Yeah, for me back then, it was a matter of uh, losing some body fat, right? And, you know, getting my muscle back. I was uh, just turned 31. Um, so I was a father of two, you know, little girls at that time. So, you know, you're going through, starting to go through a little bit of that midlife, like, hey, I'm mm-hmm. not in my 20s anymore. And mm-hmm. hey, the body fat's starting to stay on. It doesn't come off as easy. I can't just eat anything I want to eat, um, <laughs> you know, now. Nope. So that that's kind of where I was at in, in that point in my life. Well, and I think after you've had a surgery, you don't want to just get back to good enough often. You want to get back to where you were before right? Absolutely. And I've heard you speak before on that's kind of part of how you started thinking about developing this whole spark concept of helping athletes not just be good enough, but perform and become the best that they can be after an injury. So there's so much we could go into with regards to your evolution as a physiotherapist, as well as a, um, a run coach and a, a, a healer and a teacher. But as part of that journey you've taken from, you know, gym rat to runner to, phys- you know, as part of being a physio, you develop this spark blueprint philosophy, as you call it. Tell us a little bit more about that, why you developed it and kind of what the essence of it is. Yeah. So I I think the biggest thing is once I started running, um, even though at that point in time, I was a practicing physical therapist who specialized in sports medicine um, and treated many runners in, you know, my clinics, you know, even when I started running, the first injury I got was PHT, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. And I was like, what is this pain in my butt right now? I can't <laughs> sit for any length of time. You know, our all of our family kind of live on Long Island, New York, uh, which is like a two, three hour car ride. And those were terrible trying to sit in the car for any length of time. And it really gave me an appreciation for taking a little bit more deep dive into specific running injuries and really looking at muscle imbalances and looking at the runner from a more holistic standpoint, as opposed to, okay, you are recovering from a hip arthroscopy. These are the exercises you should be doing and you should recover from your hip scope, right? And even like all of our athletes, right? Return to sport. It's kind of like, okay, these are the timelines and guidelines that most surgeons use. And they say after six months, ACL, you're going to start running, right? Just start running, start a return to run progression, that there's a little bit more involved in that. And it wasn't until kind of, I had that pain myself and I had some really talented colleagues that were helping me work through that and really identifying muscle imbalances that I had. And it really enlightened me to like how important the glutes are, right? And how Mm -hmm. important it is to fix muscle imbalances Because if not, then when we run, they're going to create these common aches and pains, whether it is PhD, IT band syndrome, runner's knee, chin splints, right? Posterior tib, right? All the common culprits, Achilles, plantar fasciitis, right? Those are the most common ones that we see. And there's usually a reason why runners are getting these. And it's a matter of not only identifying like those muscle imbalances, but really being able to rebuild and strengthen their bodies so they can tolerate the demands of running so their bodies don't break down because it's not the running that causes right these pains 
as Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. when they go to medical practitioners, runner, oh, you've been running? Oh, you ran 20 miles? You ran 40 miles? You ran 80 miles this week? Just stop running. Your knee pain will go away. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's not that, right? There's a reason why. And it's just a matter of you haven't allowed the body to adapt to tolerate the demands that the sport offers. Right. So really, I guess to answer your question in a, in a long-winded way is that runners are athletes and we need to treat runners like athletes and really be able to not only rehab them from their injuries, but prevent, and I know you guys are big on this, prevent that injury from coming back again. Mm-hmm. And those that are healthy right now, as we age, our tissues aren't as durable mm-hmm. as they were yeah. when we were in our teens and twenties. So we need to do proactive measures in order to actually stay healthy. Because if we have these big half marathon, marathon, 50 K hundred mile goals, right. Mm-hmm. That Kim has, um, we need to stay healthy in order to hit those. And if we get an injury that causes us to shut running down for a week or two in our training, we know that could be like the difference maker, right? And really hitting our running goals. Yeah, 100%. And none of that happens by accident. And I can't help but think, as you were talking about how many times in my career, we'd sit in staff room and talk about people, patients, by their body part or their injury, that ACL guy, that patellofemoral guy, the shoulder pain, the knee pain. What about the runner, <laughs> the human that happens to have this injury that we get, we used to get so tunnel focused on of just, you know, let's just fix the knee. Well, actually the knee's part of the whole body mm-hmm. and the person that's using that body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you threw out there, there's usually a reason. I will argue there's always a reason, and I'm sure that's what you meant. There's always a reason for these these pains. And so anyways, yes, tell us a little bit more about where you went from there. Well, that was really, you know, the start of when I actually branched out from kind of the traditional medical model um, here in the States of kind of like an insurance-based, you know, system to, because we were constrained, right? We'd only see patients for four to six visits, eight visits maybe, and you're fighting with an insurance company to get like two more visits to allow them to go upstairs, right? And then the patient will be discharged. The insurance, you know, doesn't cover more visits because they don't really cover you to play sport, which running is a sport, right? So they get discharged and they have less pain. You kind of got them better, but you never really got them back to their half marathon. And then they come in a couple months later, they come in the next year and you see this revolving door of kind of, what I call sick care, right? You're just helping them get better. So I knew there was a better way. And actually I've listened to some of your episodes and I know that both of you have a gymnastics background (laughs) and that's actually how my practice started. I don't know if you guys know this story, but my daughter was a gymnast and the coach, you know, kind of reached out to me and knew I had experience working in the performing arts realm because I was a dancer and kind of, I wanted to see more active you know, patients in my clinic because I had such a passion for ortho sports med. And here in the States, there's a lot of physician owned practices and they all have their own PT practices. So it's kind of hard to compete if they're the entryway where all the athletes go to the orthopedic surgeon as the first line of defense 
then they filter them to their own clinics, um, which we can get into the whole ethical, you know, mm-hmm. debate regarding yeah. that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it was hard to see active adults. So I kind of niched down and said, okay, I'm going to be like the performing arts specialist in this local area where I, I actually got active dancers. And again, I was still involved with our dance studio and taught some classes. So I was like, this is great. I can help the dancers that are here. And then my daughter's gymnastics coach found out what I was doing. And he's like, can you do that for our gymnast here? Can you do screenings? And so then I educated myself more in gymnastics specific, you know, medicine and kind of went down that route. And then I really got to see the benefits of actually doing preventative work Mm -hmm. in athletes. And because all of the gymnasts there, it was, we would do screenings, you know, pre-season once they felt a little something, I would kind of screen them and be like, hey, is this a real injury or not? And then be able to provide them these strategies to help prevent things from happening during their season and keep them healthy during the season. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know, my passion is now running. So then I kind of, and then COVID hit and it actually was, you know, looking back in hindsight was a good thing because all the dance studios and gymnastics gyms that I was doing on-site services, they all closed down. So literally that part of my business like shut down. And then that's when I actually started the Healthy Runner podcast two or three months before COVID hit. And luckily that was kind of in place because then I was like, hey, I got this podcast. Like, why don't I really make sure I put the time in? I have a little extra time now uh, to make sure this really kicks off and, you know, goes down the avenue that I want it to go down. And then that's when I really exclusively started, you know, helping our running community. Well, I did not know that whole backstory. That is super cool. And it's always really obvious in hindsight, right? When you look back and it's like, oh, okay, obviously this happened and that happened and the other thing. And that led me to where I am today. But it doesn't always feel like that (laughs) along the way, I'm sure. But so many things you just said are like, ding, 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 like parallels sort of my my journey to like really being passionate about prevention, being proactive, trying to prevent all of these injuries from happening in the first place, loving to work with the active people, runners uh, in particular. So I love what you've done with your, because your physical therapy practice is called Spark Physical Therapy, but you've sort of turned that spark into a very handy little acronym that we're going to walk through tonight that sort of outlines everything that runners really need to do to stay healthy and prevent those injuries. So if you don't mind, we will just dive right in to S and S in your spark blueprint stands for strengthening. So why is strengthening important for us runners? Why is it the first letter of your Mm -hmm. acronym? Well, it's definitely, and I I guess I'll preface this by saying this is pretty much like you said, kind of the foundation and really how I wanted to start the podcast. And it's kind of like the belief system that I have. Right. And for those that are listening to this and following along, you know, we do have a freebie kind of PDF that actually details everything we're going to talk about, as well as have some, you know, specific videos of the exercise we're going to talk about the specific muscles. So we will definitely drop that in the show notes for you guys. But S is the beginning. And the reason why is because most runners don't understand the importance of strengthening. Mm -hmm. And that's what the S stands for. It does not stand for stretching. 
um, because <laughs> that was what our parents, our grandparents maybe were told that if you're going to run, you got to stretch. If you don't stretch, you're going to pull your hamstring. If you don't stretch, you know, you're going to get an injury. And as we know, as you guys know, the literature doesn't support that whatsoever for really any injury. Um, it's never really been linked to increased incidence. Um, the only thing I would say is really ankle mobility. If your gastroc and your calf muscle is super tight, then that has been linked to like runner's knee or even developing plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendon pain. But that's more of a mobility, could be a flexibility issue. But tight hamstrings does not cause any running related injury whatsoever. So I still see, you know, some runners uh, when I do my speed work at the track that will still walk to the track. They sit on the ground and they start doing like the old sit and reach kind of stretch we used to do as kids in uh, PE or phys ed (laughs) class. And yeah, their muscles are cold. They're not warmed up whatsoever. So I really wanted to kind of highlight strengthening because it is an area that runners need to think about running as you know, everyone has different why. We talked a little bit about, you know, people's why. Some people right now might be starting for weight loss. Like I know it's going to be the new year and, you know, you might be like 2022, it's going to be the year I lose my COVID-15, right? And, you know, whatever your why is, some people do start running for weight loss, which I think is great to start out with. But we want to think about running as not only our only form of exercise because Mm. we need to train in order to run and specifically strength train. So that's probably the most important variable. It's the most important thing I see lacking in a lot of injured runners that I've seen in my career. And I think it's been the key to honestly unlock runners who've been running for a long time and haven't done strength training in actually enhancing their performance Mm -hmm. and actually feeling stronger at mile 10, 11, 12 of a half marathon or at mile 20, 22 of a marathon is actually adding in that strength training. Mm -hmm. You know, some people still have that misconception like, well, if I lift weights, won't I like get bulky and Mm -hmm. especially females, right? Like so many, uh, you know, my mom runners will say like, well, I'm a little hesitant to like strength train because then won't I like get big muscles and I don't want to have big legs. I don't want to have big calves, right? But this strength training that you're doing, you're not going to get like huge muscles. You're not going to turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Trust me. It's a matter of really just providing that protection for your body to withstand the demands of running Mm -hmm. because there are forces that are imparted on our bodies when we run. And if we do it in the proper way, which we'll get to the fifth point, um, our bodies can adapt to that. But the stronger that we are, that's going to help. So I guess that's the overall uh, framework. Uh, Would you like me to list what I feel is kind of the top six muscles that runners should be kind of focusing on and strengthening? Please do. You know, everything you're saying, I've said so many times in running presentations, if runners would spend as much time as they spend stretching, strengthening, I would be out of a job, like really. (laughs) So tell us the top six muscle groups a runner could hit to put us PTs out of a job. <laughs> Love it. Glute max. Everyone knows that one, right? The big guy in the back, um, nice meaty muscle. So those are important, definitely in, you know, helping us run because this is our biggest muscle, right? So it's our stabilizer, helps prevent hamstring tendon pain. That's kind of the biggest one um, that it's going to be protective for. 
side hip muscle, gluteus medius. I consider that as the most important running muscle, honestly, that we have because we're always in single leg stance where we're standing on one leg. It helps keep our pelvis level. And this is the most common, you know, impairment when I look at someone's gait video and do video recordings of all my clients and we analyze their gait and hip drop is definitely the most common deviation. It's the most common one that will improve with some dedicated strengthening to the gluteus medius muscle. So that side uh, hip muscle. So we got to make sure we're, we're strengthening that. Another one that you rarely ever see in any kind of standard running, let's go to like the generic running, big name running programs out there is your hip external rotators. Mm -hmm. And both of you are physios. So you know, the importance of the external rotators and, you know, all physios do, but in the running community, it's still not kind of big out there. It hasn't hit mainstream, let's say, right. Runners only know about the piriformis because they've been told like they have piriformis syndrome whenever they've had pain in their butt, or they've even had sciatica and they've been told they have piriformis syndrome. But piriformis is one of the hip external rotators and is just so important in keeping our lower our upper leg, I should say, the femur bone, right, aligned and preventing the knee pain that we see, right, whether it's IT band pain or runner's knee, as well as, honestly, shin splints, posterior tibial tendinopathy, and sometimes even Achilles and plantar fasciitis. So if those muscles aren't turning on and that whole leg is going inward, then that's a big contributor toward those. The good thing is this muscle doesn't need a lot of work. It just needs a little focus during your weekly yes. strengthening, you know, making sure you hit it. Like I, I'm in a maintenance phase, so to speak, right? I've been healthy, knock on wood, but I make sure every single week in the gym, I'm doing at least one dedicated exercise that is going to hit my hip external rotators. So I have some like standing progressions and some, you know, ideas on my YouTube channel. And there's some videos that are linked in this blueprint as well. But you have to at least make sure you're keeping those guys nice and strong. We recently just had some, I know it's kind of late in the season, but our first slippery kind of round freezing mark snowfall here in Calgary, Alberta. And you you remember about your hip external rotators when you do your first few runs in the winter on slippery snow and <laughs> they kind of wake up a little bit. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you keep them strong all year round. You won't feel them so much if you happen to live in wintry climates. Even though I don't run on trail, last week was our first like <laughs> snowfall in Connecticut. And I actually went for a run and it was like slightly icy. It was slightly dangerous. Yeah. But I know what you're talking about. I can relate to like being like, ooh, I got to like go cautious. And I'm using these muscles that I'm not used to using as much as I did. Um, yeah. So those were three hip muscles. And again, the hips don't lie. Like Shakira says, those are so important is strengthening these hip muscles. And these by far are the biggest muscle imbalances I see on all of the injured runners or those that have had these chronic aches and pains. If you can focus on those three muscles, honestly, you're going to take care of probably 75% of knee and foot and ankle conditions. If we can correct the hips quads, I put in there mainly from a patellofemoral standpoint, honestly, that's really it, that we do need strong quads, but honestly, most runners have pretty well-developed quads. And then the other reason they're in there is especially if you're doing a lot of downhill running. So again, those BQ people who want to run Boston and they need strong quads, especially eccentric control as that muscle's lengthening for downhill running. And then uh, next one I got is the calf muscles. The big thing here is endurance. 
most of us don't realize we need endurance of our calf muscles. So if you know, you're listening to this, you're not sure if your calf muscles are strong enough to withstand um, running, stand on one leg, see how many times you could do a single leg heel raise. Um, so rise up on your toe, make sure you're going at a you know, pretty decent speed, not uh, too fast and having good control and see how many you can do. Um, this is an endurance test. This is one way that we look at what is the endurance of your calf muscle and runners should be able to do 25 of those on one leg. I would say only about 25% of all the runners I see, even if they're healthy, can actually do that. Mm -hmm. So just think about we're using our calf muscles repetitively, every single step we take out there. And if they don't have good endurance and they're fatiguing, what are the compensations that are happening up above at the knee oh. and then elsewhere? Where is their extra strain that's going to go if that calf muscle isn't doing its job? Um, so looking at the calf muscle, and then I also have hamstrings on there, uh, mainly honestly for really, because it is so common and prevalent this uh, PHT or proximal hamstring tendinopathy. I don't know if I'm biased because I had it myself and I did a couple of podcasts on it. And now I just see a bunch of runners who have it. Uh, but it seems it is by far the most common uh, complaint that I see in runners that I help. And we need specific control eccentrically, right? Well, while, while that muscle's lengthening and the hamstrings utilized and strengthened from the hip joint as opposed to the knee. So for those that are familiar with gym-based exercises, you go to the gym, you sit in a machine, you bring your legs down, you do the knee curl machine, right? Unfortunately, our hamstrings don't function like that and in that position of our hip, as well as non-weight bearing when we run. So you need to do specific exercises to mimic how your hamstrings work when you run. And that's really kind of a think a good summary of kind of strength training for running and that strength training for runners looks a lot different than your standard bodybuilding routine and mm -hmm. or even your boot camp or your CrossFit class um, that you're used to. So there is some specific, you know, ways to really hit these muscles and target them to mimic the demands of running. So let's just dive into just for, you know, I don't want to go deep dive on all these points or we're never going to get through this podcast in an hour, <laughs> but hamstring specifically. So I've always been very big on, yeah, mimic the position, the muscle acts at the different phases of gait through running. So if a runner were to pick one hamstring exercise, what should they think about in putting the recipe together for the running specific hamstring exercise? So great question. My personal favorite, if someone is healthy and they haven't had an issue, would be the Nordic hamstring curl mm, because it's a yeah. nice challenge. <laughs> the hardest one um, ever. <laughs> it's a great challenge and you can progress it. You don't have to go all the way down to the floor. You can mm -hmm. use a chair, a bench, and then you can go down to the floor, turn it into a nice chest workout as well, uh, doing a push-up, a plyometric push-up. And mm -hmm. that one, again, is a staple in my routine. Literally, I've done it once a week since I literally had PhD. And I, I feel so strongly about it. So why? Like, what are the components of it that make it an awesome hamstring exercise for runners? And could you describe the exercise just for those listeners that aren't familiar with it? Yes, I know, right? This is like a podcast. No one knows what the mm -hmm. heck I'm talking about. So <laughs> you would think I would know that. Um, so in this position, guys, you're kneeling. So you're on your knees. Your feet are either underneath 
something sturdy. So I have a lot of clients who use a sofa, a uh, coffee table, a bed, a cabinet. If you're working out in the gym, usually most of the uh, cable column machines have like a bar under it that you can jam your feet under. Or if you have a spouse, they can hold your feet down. You have a workout partner, have them hold your feet down. Um, this exercise has actually been researched a lot in preventing hamstring injuries in soccer players. They've done some like large scale studies because soccer, it's like easy, right? You got like all these kids on a team or whatever adults on a team and they can hold each other's legs down and, you know, do this exercise where they're their hip is in more of a neutral position. So like it is in running. So when we are running, our hips don't flex to 90 degrees. You're not sprinting. So sprinters have more hip motion. So your hip is in more of this neutral position. So I like that position. And then because you're slowly controlling your body weight coming down, we're using the muscle, what we call eccentrically or while it's lengthening. So that's kind of why. And, you know, the other thing is if you do have that condition, PhD, that is definitely the go-to as well as like a single leg elevated bridge, which would actually load the tendon more in a flex position of the hip. And that's another go-to for me from not only building resilience in the tendon and helping remodel the tendon. And even I would argue that even if us long distance runners, especially a lot of marathoners who got a lot of miles on their legs and we are getting in our forties, fifties, that that tendon quality is not as good. And I would argue that it would probably benefit you from doing that single leg elevated bridge from a prophylactic, right? Preventative standpoint as well for like tendon health. So those are the reasons why I like those exercises as kind of go-tos. And if you even have those conditions, what's really interesting, I don't know if you guys notice this with any clients who have that condition, is it's actually an analgesic exercise as well. Mm -hmm. So like most people get hamstring pain and they're like, oh, don't exercise because I'm going to make it worse. Let me like put ice on it. Let me take some Advil. And we know that those things don't help this condition because usually not an an inflammatory condition, but I'll have them do this exercise and I'll tell them this right from the beginning of like, I want you to think about like when you're actually having like a little flare up of pain, go to and do this exercise and then think about how your pain feels after. And all of them tell me the same thing. They're like, it actually got rid of my pain or it really took it down where it felt much better. So now they have this strategy and this tool to go to, not only to actually help remodel the tendon, but also from a pain management standpoint. Isn't that cool? Like exercise can do that? That is very, very cool. And what I, what I really, the, the kind of pushback that I hear a lot from people on the strengthening side of things, and maybe you've heard this too, is people saying, well, I get enough of, uh, enough of my strengthening through my running, right? Because running is a weight-bearing exercise. But I love how you said, um, yeah, we use our calves a lot in running. And then all these people, all these runners, like 75% of runners that come through your clinic can't do 25 single leg calf raises, right? And so there's a disconnect there between, yes, you're doing all this weight-bearing exercise and you're doing all of this running, but we still need to strengthen in a very targeted and specific way. So what would you say to the runner who says, I don't need to strengthen because I get enough strengthening through running? Yeah, well, running is an aerobic form of exercise, right? And many runners, as I think it was Kim who alluded to the fact that there are muscle imbalances um, that many of us have, whether it was a past injury, whether it was um, we really didn't strengthen 
And, you know, we started running like I did, like, let's say after my hip surgery, Mm -hmm. my glutes were still weak, even though I knew and I was focusing on them. It takes time, especially after a surgery Mm -hmm. for you to actually build back that muscle strength to be, you know, where it is kind of toward the other side. So we have these muscle imbalances and it's important to kind of identify those and be able to correct those muscle imbalances and then rebuild your body to be stronger, more resilient uh, to tolerate the demands of running. Yeah. When your brain and your eyes say move forward and get to that finish line at this time, at this pace, it's going to make it happen at whatever cost, right? So if you have to use muscles A, B, and C more because muscle D is not working as much, that's what you're going to do, right? Mm-hmm. And unless you break it down and, you know, it's, 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 this is our New Year's podcast. So if there's one thing, you know, you guys can do, Dwayne's just told you, you know, check your, you check your calves, do your singular calf raises. It's shocking how many people can hammer out 30 or 40 on one leg and only 10 on the other and go, Oh yeah. My goodness. Like what, what is that? Right. Exactly. And I love a little test like that. Like people could just go do that right now. Just stop the podcast right now and see if you can do 25 single leg uh, calf raises and and come back and and tell us what, what you did, but. And the same height all the way up and all the way down. I'm a stickler on that. I'm like, there's none of these little mini pumps, like (laughs) fully up, fully down. (laughs) Right. But these, if I'm not mistaken, Dwayne, these are all like you can go on to your YouTube channel and have a look at all of these exercises that you just described. There's a wealth of information over on your YouTube channel. So I would encourage everybody to to go check that out because um, sometimes it's hard to imagine some of these things as we're talking about them in a podcast format, but it's really um, makes it sink in when you can see them for yourself. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I really created it for my own clients because as you guys know, some of the, uh, the physio pictures out there aren't the best. Um, and the exercises might not be the best for, for runners. So I I really wanted to just create a exercise that I could give my clients. So I knew what they were doing and I have some custom ones, like I mentioned, um, that are specific to runners. I kind of created, you know, over the years of, especially for those hip external rotators, some like nice close chain progressions and weight bearing, but yeah, that's all there. Um, resources are there right on the YouTube channel. You can, you know, search, um, by body part and look at the hip exercise, the knee exercises. Um, but if you, if you really want the kind of focus and the, concise version, check out the blueprint and you'll have like the specific exercise we're talking about uh, here today. Awesome. Okay. Well, we've covered off S on, on our spark blueprint. So we'll move on to P and P uh, stands for plyometrics. So what in the world are plyometrics and why are they important? All right. So I'm going to try to make this a little more concise here. Plyometrics. uh, We do them because when you are running, it is plyometric in nature. So you're hopping literally from one foot to the other your muscles are going through the stretch shortening cycle. And we need to actually train our muscles in that fashion in order to become better as a runner, right? We want to get more efficient. If you want to get faster, you want to get stronger as a runner, you have to train plyometrically. So that's really adding in jump training. And that is definitely another big one that is missed in most strength uh, programs. The jump training that is in there is more hit style. And it's just like, get someone's heart rate up. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of focus on quality. And if there are muscle imbalances present, then you're probably feeding into some 
repetitive motions that are already happening during your running. So I think really progression with plyometrics is important. And just really, I tell my runners who are just starting out, they've never done plyometrics before. It's all about feeling your feet hitting the ground and actually springing back up quickly off of the ground. You don't need to jump high. You don't need to be super powerful, but we need to start to feel what that feels like and to actually activate those muscles. As soon as you hit the ground, you pop back up, pop back up and really getting that neuromuscular control of popping off of the ground. And then as they progress, those exercises get harder and you can jump higher. You can add more force, right? There's all these different progressions, but most people think of plyometric training of, Hey, I'm going to jump up on this big box because I saw someone else do it. That's like the last phase of plyometric mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. So there's so many kind of steps before that. And again, progression is key, especially if you are adding in plyometric training as you're also increasing mileage or as you're also adding in speed into your training. You have to think about there's all these new stimuli you're adding into your training. So, you know, we already talked about we're all about preventing injuries. So if you can do this, the best time is during your quote unquote off season, Right not in race season is when you want to add in plyometrics to get your body stronger. And as you're building up your base, um, before you really head into like a marathon training cycle or really trying to push your speed and your workouts. And then all my runners definitely, as they're approaching the marathon, I take out all plyometrics at that point. And depending upon where someone is and how hard they're pushing for a half marathon, I'm going to take those out at some point as well, because they're already pushing, you know, their body with whether you're doing interval sessions or tempo runs or some long runs with marathon pace and tempo in there or threshold pace. So yeah, plyometrics is something we want to add in. So it's why, like it's because plyos break you down a little bit more, right? And they're more demanding on your body. And so you wouldn't typically do as many plyometric sets and reps as you would other strengthening exercises, correct? Oh, great point. Yes, absolutely. Um, Plyometrics are all about quality, not quantity. Less is more. And you want to focus on that good form and your reps are definitely a lot less. So usually I'll have people do six to eight reps of their plyometric exercises. And I like to superset kind of my exercise. And that's why I created in like the healthy runner strength program is you do a set of plyos and then you'll go and do a core exercise or you'll go and do an upper body exercise and then you come back. So you allow that recovery of your muscles in between, but you could still get a good workout, you know, working another muscle group. But yeah, I have one dedicated day. That's kind of the leg plyo day in my programs and you know that's all kind of progressive in nature so if you are a runner also who thinks of strength training as a leg day once a week i would challenge you to get out of that kind of mindset and think more of you know you're going to strength train two to three times a week and if it's a two day program one of those days you're going to be doing some type of jumping element some type of plyometric training depending upon where you are and where your level of fitness is and if you're doing it three times a week you're going to have two days that you're doing leg exercises and then one day you're doing plyometric training mm-hmm. to really allow those muscles to actually get more powerful get more speed and protect your tendons 
tendons. Yes, let's just highlight this. It's not just about muscles, bones, all that stuff. It's connective tissue. So if there's one period of my life that I was really reminded how important and powerful plyometric training can be, it's when I lived in the flattest place in Canada and I was training for the Tahoe 100 mile race where there was like 18,000 feet of elevation gain. I had no mounts to train on. And I tell you, plyos and jump training paid me massive dividends when it came to hammering down mountains and and going up and down Mm -hmm. because it trained my tendons to be able to absorb that kind of load. So, and actually... This is the the geeky physio in me. I actually measured the width of my Achilles tendons before I started plow training and after. Are you and, serious? And That's yes, awesome. my Achilles tendon thickened massively. Yes. It got so beefy and I was so proud. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever seen my calves, you probably aren't surprised. But anyways, it works. It's really, it makes you a really durable, resilient runner. So it's not just about speed and power and sprinting. It's about not breaking down in the long run. So mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and we're, we're talking so enthusiastically about plyometric exercises, but it, <laughs> the physio in me also feels um, compelled to, to say that this comes with a little bit of a warning yes. sometimes, right? Yes. So less is more, as you mentioned, Dwayne, um, quality over quantity. Is there anything people should really be aware of before they start a jump training program? And I guess, what I've heard about this in the past is that you you really want to nail the landing mechanics before you ever start really jumping up high off the ground or anything. You want to make sure that you can land properly. So what have you heard about that and, and what should people be aware of before they start? Great, great point. And a couple of things that come to my mind is number one, good plyometrics should be seen, not heard. The opposite of this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, you're heard and you're not seeing us right now, but yeah. your plyometrics, you want to be seen, not heard. So you can have someone sleeping in your house and you are doing plyometrics in your living room, which I was doing during COVID and I wasn't waking up my girls, right? I was landing like a cat, right? You want to land lightly and like I mentioned, kind of spring right off of the floor. But you bring up a good point in that you definitely need a base level of strength. And that's why everyone that you know goes through our coaching program kind of goes through different phases where we restore your body back to fundamental running movement patterns by hitting all of the muscles that we had talked about in the strengthening portion of the blueprint. So we need to know how to activate those muscles. So our technique with our landings is correct, right? We're keeping the center of the kneecap over the second toe. We're not having those knees diving in. The knees aren't passing over the toes a lot. That's going to improve your technique. So I would never recommend someone who's never done any strength training whatsoever say, okay, let's start jumping, right? We need to have that foundational strength first. And then you start with level one plyo program. And there are different programs out there. I have kind of three different categories that I kind of created and it's progressive in nature. So again, you're not jumping to the coolest video that you saw on an Instagram reel, um, because it just looked cool. And you're like, wow, that runner's like really fast. Maybe I should do that. Um, there's a progression to that. So thank you for bringing up the safety element. Yeah. So could you describe maybe a few of the exercises in your level one, like your introductory plyo, what type of exercise could we use to introduce someone to this and work on those landing mechanics? 
Yeah, so there's a couple that I consider level one, and I think everyone's familiar with these movements, so it works out well, is if you know how to do a squat, an air squat, right, you can do a squat jump. Um, so you're squatting down, you're jumping up, landing lightly and coming back up. You're watching, if you're in the gym, you have a mirror in front of you, you're watching, where's my knee positioned? Um, am I landing lightly? Um, I'm using my arms to gain some momentum. I'm not just like hitting the ground and boom, all the forces are going into my joints and my knees. Um, the other one is I like to do like a lunge jump or what we call a scissor jump. Um, where this does mimic more of your running form because you have one hand that's in front of the opposite knee, right? So this, I like a little bit better for running specific and, you know, we're landing and we're coming up and springing down and we're switching feet. So which foot is in front? So it's reciprocal motion, just like when we run. And then the other one that I really like a lot, again, for those calf muscles, um, because we do utilize them a lot, is what I like to call wall jumps, where if you picture yourself getting close to the wall, like you're going to literally kiss the wall, put your arms up overhead, and now you're going to tap the wall. But because you're so close to the wall, if you tried to do a squat, your knees would smash into the wall. So your legs stay straight in your knees and your hips and your ankles just flex. So you're really popping off of the ground. Ah, and this really cool. gets that spring in the Achilles tendon, especially, and in your calf muscles. So that helps get a little more pop, gets those calf muscles a little bit more reactive. Mm -hmm. um, so those are three ones that I like. A hop, hop, hold is a nice one too, mm -hmm. where you're traveling. And I'll start with two legs in level one. But as we know, as we're going to get into the next point, like we have to go single leg. And then Amen. that's where your plyos, where your plyos go as well as being able to hop on one leg, travel, stick that landing, right. be able to hold it. Just like you guys know from gymnastics, you got to stick yeah, that landing. Got to stick right? the landing always. <laughs> oh my goodness. You just gave me like, I've been putting all these pieces together. So yes, let's get into single leg exercises next. But you know, as a next gymnast and a mother of kids, I put my kids in gymnastics. My, I have two boys, so I knew they wouldn't stay in it for very long. At least I kind of expected that. But right. the big thing I wanted them to do was learn how to land. I did not want to be that helicopter mom in the park hovering under the monkey bars. I'm like, when you fall, you land well, and I just don't need to worry about you. And so with running, we don't get injured when we're in flight phase. You get injured when your foot hits the ground, right? So if you can learn how to land properly, that's a big, big step. And I also say there is never a point in the running gait cycle. That is the difference between running and walking, right? Running is a hundred percent single leg stance phase. There are never two feet on the ground at the same time. So why are single leg exercises important? And why is that the next part of your acronym? Well, it's exactly because of that, because we're never in double limb support when we run, right? So we're always yeah. on one leg. So we need to train, and especially that gluteus medius muscle that we talked about earlier, that's the main guy that's activated and keeps our pelvis level. And if our pelvis can stay level and we don't get that hip drop, then our knee alignment stays where it needs to be. And we're not putting a lot of stress on that IT band or the tracking of the kneecap itself. So that's really the biggest reason why we need to train on one leg and have stability. So, you know, those keeping score at home and you're testing yourself, you're doing a little like 
screening test after you did your single leg calf raises, <laughs> you can just stand on one leg, right? And do like what I call a march mm -hmm. test, like bring your knee yeah. up to the ceiling. How stable are you? You know, compare it to the other side. There's usually going to be one side where you feel like you shift a little bit more over. And usually that's a little sign of weakness of that side hip muscle that you're compensating and shifting before you lift your knee up. You can also challenge that with a single leg squat and see, can you do a single leg squat? And I'm going to, you know, have many runners that are like, I can't do a single leg squat. I know I have no stability. And, you know, whether it is an ankle stability issue, whether it's a mobility issue, sometimes we can't squat because the ankle mm -hmm. is limited and we, you know, don't have mobility there. So being able to do those kind of functional movement patterns is a nice way to screen to see, should I be working on this? And um, single leg strengthening is definitely needed. Uh, that is a huge part of our healthy runner, you know, foundation. And I, I love single leg exercises because you don't necessarily need to add a lot of load and resistance, but you get a good workout yeah. and it's you can get your muscles yeah. sore and you feel like you're stronger as a runner, honestly. And I enjoy doing them more in the gym because I feel like, Hey, I'm strength training for running. Like this is going to help me be a better runner without needing to add a whole lot of load. And I'm not saying that there's never a time or a place that you should add, you know, weighted squats, deadlifts, whatever, um, lifting exercise that you want to do at different points of your training cycles, but single leg strengthening at some element should be included throughout your year. As, yeah. as a runner, it really, it, it's essential. Yep. Yeah. So for those of you following along with the blueprint at home, we had the S for strengthening and the P for plyos. This A that you're speaking to right now stands for add in single leg exercises, right? So I just want to help people that are following along. But... Thanks for highlighting that, Carolyn. I was going to figure out, how can I highlight this? I over that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't exactly work, but you know, I was doing my best there to be creative and how. Hey. No, I, I, again, like I love a good framework that really helps some of this information because it's so important to help it sink in for people. But I know I've heard you speak about this before. Can you give us a few other example exercises uh, that we might want to think about doing on one leg. Yeah. So there's a couple of favorites of mine that I really uh, enjoy is a reverse lunge. So as opposed to going forward where a lot of our weight's coming forward, I like going the reverse lunge, stepping behind you, you're going to get more hip flexion, which works more your glute max, um, which is a good thing. And then you can kind of pop into a nice standing march position right? And stabilize on one leg. And then you can add resistance. So you can do that with a shoulder press. If you want a unilateral, you know, change in weight, you can push out in front, you can hold a plate, a kettlebell, a medicine ball, whatever you want in the front uh, to kind of work your core a little bit and to add more of a challenge. But that's kind of a, a staple there. A single leg squat, great exercise, mm -hmm. um, you know, definitely for quad strength, but really control, you know, work in the control of the lower extremity. Another one of mine that I really love now is a traveling walking march with an alternating shoulder press. Mm -hmm. So it really actually allows like elongation and really works kind of the whole core where you're really elongating your body. You're challenging yourself on one leg, making sure your hip's not dropping. Mm -hmm. So you're getting that gluteus medius muscle, you're getting your core, and then you can get a little shoulder 
action as well. But yeah, there are many different, and honestly, you could be creative. Um, that's the beauty of of this. Anything you do in the gym, you can do on one foot. You can do bicep curls on yeah. one foot. You can do calf raises on one foot. Yeah. You can you could put a mini band around your ankles and and go out in all the directions, right? And I think you call it taps and circles. Do you? Yeah. So that's kind of the one that it kind of focuses a little bit more on those external rotators. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you do a little mm-hmm. taps and circles. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I'm such a huge fan of single leg squats. I just want to like add my double high five to this. <laughs> I always have my runners do like when they come in for an assessment, I like, do two, 10 single leg squats for me just like right now. Like, don't think about it, just do it. And the more you do them, if you get good at them, you know what really feeling solid and grounded and awesome feels like. And if you do them regularly, they can become not just an exercise, but a test. So example, I was in a car accident. I won't go down this long road, but my pelvis was out after this car accident. And I went to yoga. And do you think I could do my single leg squats? I wasn't in pain yet. But later on, the posterior tip pain started to come. And the first warning sign was I lost the stability in those single leg squats. And eventually the pain showed up. And so if you like Mm. can become a rock star at those things, they can also become a test of when something might be off Mm. somewhere in your body that you need to pay attention to. So I'll just throw that out there. I love that. So we've got, we're on to the R. What does the R stand for, Dwayne? <laughs> R, yeah, the R isn't as um, intuitive as well, but it is routine, self-mobility, or soft tissue care. So this could encompass a bunch of different things depending upon the individual. And this is where stretching may fit into the picture. You know, I guess let's go down that rabbit hole (laughs) initially is stretching. If you think about stretching, most of your stretching should be movement based, what we call dynamic stretching before your runs, right? So you're doing an active dynamic kind of movement based stretching, you know, people will call it mobility. And, and I think those are more important, honestly, or probably the most important for runners. But if you are really pushing your training and you're really pushing your body to the limits, you're running a new distance, you're adding in speed work, all those things we talked about, having some type of recovery. So the R could stand for recovery as well. It probably should have been recovery, tell the truth, (laughs) um, in hindsight, but (laughs) I didn't give it that much thought. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) We just changed it to recovery, Um, is taking care of those soft tissues. So whether it is yourself Uh, soft tissue techniques, using a foam roller, a massage stick, a percussion gun, Mm -hmm. going and seeing your massage therapist, you know, doing those things. Sometimes we need to reset, especially with hard training. We can get trigger points in our muscles. So as physios, you know, we do dry needling for trigger points. Um, You do instrument assisted soft tissue massage or mobilization. We do manual soft tissue massage. So we do all these kind of techniques to treat trigger points. Mm -hmm. There are some great you know, self techniques you could do with the massage ball, right? Right. So all of those tools that we have in our toolbox that this is what you should be pulling out at different points of your training and really, you know, listening to your body, you know, do you feel like you got a trigger point somewhere? There's like this muscle that feels tight and it feels like a knot and it won't go away. So then you do some targeted stuff on your own. If it's not getting better in a couple of days, then go see your local practitioner who can kind of help you with that and be able to, you know, prevent this from becoming a long-term issue and or leading to a muscle imbalance because now your body's compensating for that soft tissue that's not in, uh, I guess, proper signal 
right? right. Um, and then there, this causes this muscle imbalance and this different movement pattern to occur, which affects your running. Let's move on to K. What's K? Because I think this is a really important point that I don't want it to be lost because it's the last one. I know. A again, in hindsight, if I was to like prioritize this, I might have even put this the first. But when I created this, it was before I actually became a run coach myself and really saw the value in actually understanding the principles of training really yeah. and how much of a game changer that is in keeping runners healthy. So this stands for keeping consistent and training smart. Mm -hmm. So this is all about your training. And, you know, in hindsight, when I really think about all of the injured runners I've ever, you know, treated in my career as a physio is Yes, there are underlying physical things usually that we can pick up on in the clinic, but it really always goes back to training errors, right? How many times have we seen runners coming in and essentially they had a spike in their training load? They just did too much too soon. They decided it was New Year's and you know what? I'm going to train for this marathon because I need to get back in shape or I haven't run a marathon in a long time. I'm going to actually do this. And now you actually go from running zero miles to running 20 miles a week. And that was actually too much for you, even though 20 miles a week might've been nothing five years ago, two years ago, one year ago, yep. even right. Um, yeah. Is really ramping up a little too quickly and or adding in mileage at the same time that you're adding in speed. So all of those training errors are usually what results in the injury. And for me, you know, now working as a coach has been the most rewarding thing is to actually now combine that run plan with a solid strength plan, as well as addressing whatever ache and pain it is that, you know, a runner is dealing with. And that's really honestly been the secret sauce for me. I don't know. I would love to hear your thoughts, honestly, if you guys feel the same. Well, like, I don't know how much the listeners know about, about my story, but that was completely it. I would, I noticed this trend of these injured runners coming in and going, I actually think the majority of these injuries could have been prevented with a proper progression in their training. And then I sort of started to dig into some of the the literature around this and I read anywhere up to 80% of running injuries are actually due to training errors, which is crazy. <laughs> like your Huge. running injury could be prevented with a proper progression in your weekly mileage, your long runs, your workouts. And this is all exactly what a run coach does. Like they're invaluable um, you know, everybody's rushing out to buy the latest carbon shoes. Like you invest some money in a good run coach who can oh. prevent some of these injuries <laughs> off the get go. Anyway, sorry, should I get off my soapbox now? <laughs> no, that's another rabbit hole we could get into. No, go ahead. Can talk I mention plain. this? Yes. Just because yes. um, we're doing a study on this right now and mm. we really got into the literature and did a lit review that most runners, their perceptions of what causes injuries are number one, insufficient recovery from like runs or injuries. And then number two, in many studies have been shoes. And that actually came up in our study. So we surveyed 440 runners, recreational runners, middle age, average age of 44 years old and shoes. And that's what most runners think causes their injuries is shoes. And like you said, that has never been shown in 
any literature, by the way, whether it is brand or shoe type, um, to actually be linked to running injuries. But to Carolyn's point, it is the training. And like you said, we'll pay 150 bucks, 200, 250 bucks for new shoes every like two months to try to get rid of our foot pain, but we won't invest in actually a good run coach who's going to actually design a plan for you that's going to actually keep you healthy. <laughs> yeah. 100%. You know, when I was working at the Pan Am Running a Gate Center, I found myself as I became more and more hyper-specialized in running injury, I started doing less, so much less. And I found I was just sitting and talking to my patients mm-hmm. so much more. And I started to realize like, I'm essentially coaching here. And in fact, it was one of them that asked me like, will you just coach me? <laughs> and I had to play with the ethics and the boundaries and the, you know, conflict of interest potential there. But really, I became as a physio a hundred percent more as a coach and, and just talking to my clients more. And in fact, they would often book appointments just to come in and talk, which is when, when the light bulb really went on about, you know, it's not what I do to you. It's how we orchestrate the entire day, week, month of your life. That really, really matters. Well, so maybe we can get into this a little bit, Dwayne, yeah. like with some specifics, like working with somebody who's let's say that they're a new runner like how often should they be running how far or long should they be running what are your thoughts on like kind of those first steps like what's your what are your thoughts on run walking talk about loaded questions carol like come on <laughs> yeah let's give me like five more okay. let's go <laughs> I got more. I got more. <laughs> yeah the big thing is frequency so actually running more frequent throughout the week is going to be more protective for your body than just running once or twice a week. So at minimum, at minimum, I definitely do a three-day plan for my runners. For those that are training for the half, I try to encourage a four. I've had some marathoners that really only can do a three-day plan. It's tough. It's so tough tough. to try to run a marathon on a three-day plan. It's almost virtually impossible. I sometimes (laughs) do four with marathoners, but I'm like, please five. Like, can you give me five? (laughs) Like that's the, you know. Right. But do you use in the, I don't know how much you guys follow running chats and I've almost had to leave so many of them because people always post these comments of, can I run a 50 miler on three days a week? Or can I run a marathon on two days a week? And I'm like, just because maybe you can doesn't mean you should. Like, it's not necessarily the optimal way to go about it and feel yeah. great about it. So anyhow, yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm yeah. all about transparency. And I was actually just talking yeah. on my podcast just before we got on um, with one of our runners of having that frank conversation and just letting them know of what is going to be best for them. And, you know, just setting the expectations mm-hmm. of, you know, what is realistic goals, right? And I'm all for pie in the sky, shooting for the stars. I'm the biggest optimist out there, but I'm also going to be real with you and tell you, you know, if you can give me an extra day of running, like you're going to actually get better results and actually get to your goal of, you know, finishing your first marathon or, you know, getting this PR or getting sub three, whatever your goal is, right? So definitely frequency is one of those that 
usually can be increased. Slowing down is another principle. We are all running our easy conversational pace runs way too fast. And the more that you hear other, you know, for those listening, I'm sure they heard many of your guests say it, you got to slow down to get faster. And having a dichotomy in your training paces during your week is key. Um, If you're just starting out, everything should be at that easy conversational pace. But as you progress and how you get faster is by having one dedicated day to running faster. And, you know, if you're using the 80, 20 rule, um, 80% of your runs should be easy conversational pace. They're not meant for you to have the best workout ever and burn the most calories. Again, you got to be smart about your training because it's not just about getting a good hard workout to like get a workout in. If you want to run for you know, to be a lifelong injury-free runner, which is what I promote, then you have to do it the smart way. And if you want to do it until you're like a hundred, which is my goal to run till I'm hundred, um, you know, you, you have to think about those things. And, and that's where knock on wood, you know, I feel like finally kind of going back to one of our original questions, I figured out how to prevent all of those injuries that I got when I started running as an adult, even being a physio and treating runners before in my practice, I finally figured out this kind of secret sauce, if you will, um, of how to prevent these things from occurring. And I'm hoping, you know, longevity wise, I'll be able to run until I'm, you know, in the box, so to speak. The other quick one, you know, points for training is gradually building up that training volume and not increasing your mileage too quickly each week, right? So the 10% rule is a general um, rule that you'll see out there, but that's something I always look at. Like even when I design plans, the last thing I do is now I go to the weekly mileage and double check and make sure that I'm not having more than 10% increase per week um, in their plans and allowing rest and recovery. So I'll have some runners who want to fight me with this point as well in that they feel like, you know, they're kind of type A and most of us runners are like, I'm type A, I'll tell you that. But if they don't exercise, then like they didn't get their fix. And, uh, you know, just educating on, on the aspect of rest and recovery is actually a part of your training. And that's how our muscles rebuild. That's how we are able to grow. That's how we're able to get our training, our hard effort sessions in. That's how we're able to build out that long run even longer is by allowing that rest and recovery. And then just really finding the right training plan for you. Um, It's not one size fits all. We all start out with the free plans you download online. I did when I started running. Honestly, if you're new to running and you want to fast track your progress, invest in a run coach. Like Mm -hmm. you will fast track your progress. You will probably prevent yourself from getting the common running injuries and save yourself thousands of hours searching YouTube, trying to find the best strategies to get over plantar fasciitis. And in hindsight, I would have definitely done that earlier. I (laughs) help runners with this and I invest in a run coach. Mm -hmm. So it's worth it. Um, (laughs) It's worth it for you because Everyone is a little different and we have our own goals and our own unique needs and being able to find a plan that's right for you is going to be key in keeping you healthy. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. No matter how much running experience you have or how much medical experience you have, you never have objective views of yourself Mm -hmm. and you only have so much energy to expend. And I know I don't want to have to think about my training program. (laughs) I want somebody to just tell me that so I can expend as much energy as possible in the actual training part. Definitely. And, um, yeah, call me on my bullshit when, 
I might not be doing what I should yeah. be doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and one final thing on this point that that I'll say is I really feel for people though because so much of these running principles yeah. are super counterintuitive. Like yeah, what are. do you mean we have to run more often to prevent injuries? Like every time I go to add that extra day a week, that's when I get injured. So you're now telling me I've got to run 4 days or uh you know, one more day than I'm used to. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. What do you mean I have to slow down in order to get faster. I want to get faster. Shouldn't I run fast all the time? So I really feel for people who are trying to navigate mm -hmm. all the noise and all the information because a lot of it truly is a little bit backwards to what you would initially think. And, and I certainly made loads and loads of mistakes myself being a physiotherapist coming from the, the healthcare world. And I still made all the mistakes too. So I mean, if you're making any of these mistakes, please don't feel bad. <laughs> We're not picking no. on you. It's a it's a a way to say like, hey, I get it. Um, these don't always make a lot of sense, but we're taking this time to sort of educate you and, and dig into this stuff and and point you to some of those resources where you can learn more. Okay, so it's time for our rapid fire questions. You got these in advance, Dwayne. You've given them some some thoughts. So, do you happen to have a favorite mantra that you want to share with us? Yeah, the one that has kind of got me through my last couple of half marathons, um, got me a little faster time, is uh, pain is temporary, pride is forever. Oh yeah, love it. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so the next question is: What is your favorite place to run? Um, any runcation. So anytime I'm on vacation or at a conference, um, I love discovering new areas, uh, seeing new topography, right? So I was at a conference in Denver, like just looks so much different than Connecticut. We went to the Outer Banks, uh, North Carolina this summer and just running along the shoreline there. We went to Old Orchard Beach, Maine. So just like anywhere we vacation, I just love discovering the area with mm -hmm. number one, that's the mm -hmm. first thing I do when I get there. It's like, I put down my bags, I change into my running clothes and I go for a discovery run to see like what's around my hotel. So I'm like familiar with the, the area and I just love running when I'm not at home. Mm -hmm. Um, just cause it's different scenery. Yep. It yeah. feels more rich or the time goes by so much faster cause you're just looking around and plus you get to see more of whatever city you're in. Right. Right. 100%. Okay. Love that. Uh, do you still have a race on your bucket list? Um, yeah, I would definitely say at some point, uh, the New York City Marathon, mm -hmm. I will definitely have to uh, conquer that one being an original New Yorker. Um, that's always been one that I always said would be my first marathon. And then when I went to do my first marathon, I was just thinking about the logistical challenges of New York. And I yeah. knew I'd be already a little anxious to actually finish a marathon. So I said, you know what, let me do my hometown marathon, the Hartford Marathon here in Connecticut, because I've done the half three years in a row. I know exactly where to park. I know where the start line is. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, all that's the logistics fine. of the race. So, but yeah, at some point, definitely I want to do New York. I hear it's just an amazing experience. You'll make Allie on the run very proud. I know you were just on her. Yes. <laughs> I, want, I want her to be saying my name there when I go. cross that finish line. I'll give her a shout out. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. So do you have a favorite running book or movie? Um, 
this is probably bad, but I, I don't because, and this is probably why I have a podcast and I don't have a well-published blog or I've never written a book um, is because I don't like to read and I don't like to write. And this is why I like audio video. That's how I learn is by audio. Um, so that's what keeps me, you know, busy out on my runs as I listen to your podcast. I listen to other running podcasts. So yeah, I don't know if I could say favorite running podcast. Yes, you certainly can. Inspired Souls podcast. Oh, you're saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking before the show and I'm like, how does somebody who has a DPT and a PhD who doesn't like to write or read? Well, well, then he ends up podcasting. It's the perfect way to share and teach and inform people. You know, it's, it's such a... I think a gift, honestly, podcasting is just the best mm-hmm. thing ever because it allows us to share and absorb information yeah. in the ways that we learn best, in mm-hmm. creative ways. While doing something else at the same time. Speaking exactly. of the type A productive, yeah. I feel so productive if I've like cleaned the house while listening to a podcast or gone for a mm-hmm. run while listening mm-hmm. to a podcast. Oh, absolutely. Or like put my Christmas lights yeah. on my roof for like three <laughs> hours and I, you know, hammered away at Ali on the Run podcast, Rambling Runner, <laughs> Tina Muir, like I've Absolutely. like accomplished so much. Oh, right. right. <laughs> yes. Check, 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 check. <laughs> Gold stars all around. Okay. Final question. Do you have a favorite post-run indulgence? Yeah, for me, it's more because I go on my runs, um, you know, in the morning and it's breakfast. So on the weekends after a long run, I just like to make a nice egg omelet, um, put my mushrooms in there, get a little like Swiss cheese and uh, have a nice bagel. Cause I don't eat bagels mm-hmm. on like a regular basis, but, uh, again, being a New Yorker at heart and bagels was always something we grew up on. So it was always that like, you get some fresh bagels and we have a good, uh, local bagel place in my town that reminds me there's not a, a lot of great bagel places in Connecticut, but the one in my town reminds me of a good New York bagel. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, having a nice little breakfast, uh, sometimes we do like waffles and yeah, we, mm-hmm. we, we love breakfast in our house and our family does. So we do it up. That's awesome. That is amazing. So yeah. good. Well, there has just been ah, like so much good stuff in this in this episode. Um, we knew it would be fantastic. It was so fun geeking out physio to physio to PT, <laughs> um, talking talking all the things. We hope you've learned something at home about your own bodies and how to take care of yourselves and stay at it and and keep running and not be told that you have to stop running. Right. So thank you for your for your knowledge and your wisdom and your your passion for running. Thank you for doing what you do for the running community. And uh, if people loved what they heard today, where can they find you? Well, home base is sparkyourtraining.com and you can find all of the uh, links to the socials there. Um, the YouTube channel we mentioned, it's at sparkyourtraining. Same thing with Instagram, um, at sparkyourtraining. I get some running tips and then definitely the Healthy Runner podcast. Um, you guys are listening to a podcast right now. So if you have some time in your schedule to fit another one in, then uh, check us out on the podcast. And we have a community on Facebook, the Healthy Runner Facebook group. Um, so we have about uh, two and a half thousand r- like-minded runners of like active adults just looking to kind of continue getting after it in our in our middle ages and staying healthy along the way. And we have an amazing community there. We have a group of run coaches. We have you know daily content that we're posting in there um, as well as on our Instagram page. So 
yeah, check us out. And I really thank you guys for the opportunity. And I love hearing your stories on your podcast as well. And I just love the whole kind of how you guys bring that trail running, um, even though I haven't tried trail myself. But I don't know, Kim, one day, one day one I day will. She'll rub off on and you. I'm going to let happens. you know. <laughs> I'm going to let you know. <laughs> I'll be watching and listening. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I, I greatly appreciate it. And this was so great to chat with you guys. Well, it was great to, to get to know you a little bit more, Dwayne. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, healthy runners, have you been listening to this podcast for a while and have been implementing the strategies we talk about on a weekly basis? If so, kudos to you for taking action because we all know those that are successful are those that take action. However, I do talk to many of you runners and you guys are trying to implement the strategies. Maybe you've seen some exercises on my Spark Your Training YouTube channel, but you're just not sure if that is exactly what you should be doing depending upon your situation. So if you're looking for clarity and focus in order to be able to collapse time so you don't have to figure it out all by yourself, that is exactly what we take care of with our team of experts in our one-on-one personalized run coaching program to get you stronger and faster so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. What do you get when you sign up for the Healthy Runner Coaching Program? You get 16 weeks of one-to-one run and strength training, coaching, and accountability. You get strategic one-on-one deep dive coaching on a monthly basis. You get focused feedback on your training on a weekly basis. You get the strength program for running resource library and you get lifetime access to that. You also get an online personalized structured run and strength plan. You get a community of like-minded runners and then access to our trusted Healthy Runner coaching team made up of certified run coaches, a physical therapist, a registered dietitian, and personal trainers and fitness instructors. If you are interested in seeing if you are a good fit to work with myself or anyone on our team, then just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Check out the behind the scenes video tour of the program and hear from runners just like you who have been through our program before. We would love to provide you the clarity on what you should be focusing on in your training, whether it is getting stronger with strength training, the specific types of runs you should be doing, or the nutrition you should be fueling your body with for those runs. If you're ready to get the support and accountability you need to take action and put the work in, then I would love to hop on a call with you to see if you're a good fit for a one-on-one healthy runner coaching program. Just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching and get signed up for your enrollment strategy call with me today. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's four ways I can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkyourtraining. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner in Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash sparkyourtraining. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential runners and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner to help you get stronger, faster, so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. 
Lastly, if you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner and want one-on-one structure, accountability, and support from our Healthy Runner coaching team, check out the the behind-the-scenes video tour of our coaching program and the stories from many of our athletes who are struggling with the same sticking points that you are right now. Just head to programs.sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Thank you again, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening. Now go and crush your run today.